Hey everybody, we at Podgave Rock and Roll Do You want to make it clear that we don't mean any offense by our comments, critiques, or opinions. We're not music critics, just buddies that use talking about music as an excuse to hang out. Also, our language is intended for adult ears. Enjoy! Cause I'm in the shed house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar bill So I can pass out I was at a wedding a couple weeks ago, so somebody had to give a speech there, and what they did was they took a bunch of stories that they heard from various groomsmen and themselves, and then put them into chat GPT (laughs) to come up with a wedding speech. Love it, love it. (laughs) And then Mm. read the chat GPT speech, which was cool. I mean, you could tell it was a little robotic, like, you know, because whenever it didn't have the story to tell, it would be like, he is known for his adaptability. (laughs) And then adaptability was said like twice during it. And it was like, "Mm, I don't think a human said that. And I've been reading this week about now they're trying to like regulate AI. And there's a big conversation about ownership of AI because they're saying, oh, well, you know, with the writer strike in Hollywood and everything, they're like, well, they're going to use like, oh, well, let's put in a Quentin Tarantino scripts into mm-hmm. this AI mm-hmm. thing and then have a Tarantino script written. Or if in music, they're like, let's, we want a Bob Dylan kind of song. So let's put in a bunch of Dylan songs and then they'll kind of learn how to write a Dylan song. So there's a question now about ownership of the result. Does the company who created the AI own it? Or does Bob Dylan have some copyright to that? Yeah, it's very tricky, like you said. I hadn't even thought of that, really. I just started hearing about AI singing. I was excited and scared. I was like, ooh, I could write some songs because I don't (laughs) sing, and maybe the computer (laughs) could tell me what would sound good there. I I looked around today, and I did find it was crazy. There's um, all these samples of, like, the Beatles doing Queen or like these AI versions of the Beatles singing Oasis or, you know, just the other way around. It's a, I found that very interesting, but back to your question of what should happen there. I mean, that is the tough part about the AI conversation in general. Like there's really, it's, it's almost such a quagmire. You don't know where to begin about how to even regulate it. Basically, I would say if you're using the likeness of somebody's voice very specifically, they have a right to that no matter what right yeah which is very seems very clear to me but i understand if it's just something that you're trying to use to make a creative i guess it it comes down to what is it a a creation for profit is it for just art and just simply for public display has no monetary value to it or if it's based on like you're going to try and create some kind of profitability off of it that could play into the yeah conversation obviously or is it just more like hey i just like to do this for fun and people enjoy yeah. it yeah I, th- I think it's more like so i remember years ago i read this thing where beach house the band beach house was talking and they were like you know we got a lot of people coming to us for like commercial you know cause they're very vibey mm-hmm. it's like they want a beach house vibe for this commercial and they were like we were just hesitant to do commercial and they're like okay we'll just go find and, a band yeah. and tell them we want something that yeah. sounds like beach exactly. house right so yeah. they would do that and they'd get a band that sounded like beach house and we'll Beach House didn't get any yeah. money from that. So I think, in, in general, it's going to be used to where, like, Ford won't say song that sounds like 
another song about cars, you know, like a, a song we did on the pod once, Ace of Spades, mm-hmm. about a car. So they're like, well, let's just throw in Ace of Spades and then maybe another song about cars here and another song about cars here and we'll get something about cars. And, so, and then we'll use it in our commercial and it'll sound like something people are familiar with. Well, yeah, so and there's like... currently no way to really regulate that. Up until now, you know, it's only like melody and words. Um, so even if someone writes a song that sounds kind of like Dylan, there's, he can't really do anything about it. Yeah. And as soon as you put a quantifiable how you would even say hey, you owe Bob Dylan this money, you tell the computer, go right up to the line, right? You know what I mean? Like, you could tell, write a Dylan song, yeah. but make it a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> or or you just, like, you throw in some Dylan, maybe some Hank Williams, and you're like, let's put a little motorhead in there to give it, like, a heavier feeling. And <laughs> you're like, okay, well, who fucking owns this? They, I think, are the four different bands you use to come up with this song. Or over time, from what I understand how AI works, is, like, over time, they learn. So maybe you're putting... Uh, eventually you put a hundred fucking bands in there it's like what's the point like do you even want to have like copyright well I'll take on one one hundredth of that song I'm sure anybody wants the money but at that point it's kind of diluted to a point of does it fucking matter yeah yeah I mean I can certainly see some AI pop songs in the near future and then who who's making those millions of dollars you know the AI generated influencers (laughs) that are all fake and Google yeah (laughs) There are these new girls that don't exist that look perfect, but they don't exist. <laughs> and we're going to make our only fans and become this whole thing. And we're also pop stars and we're also dancers and oh we're God. just not real, but we're not real. So it's going to be all in one, all in one AI. Oh my God. That's not, I don't know if that's a world I want to live in. You know, my personal opinion is, and we talk about songs on here all the time and there's certain songs and actually quite few i think that really like the humanity of the song stands out like i'm not really sure ai is ever going to get to from from what i heard now or read on chat i don't know if there can ever be a humanity that comes across well you would hope ai that's our that's our last hope (laughs) honestly let's hope that doesn't happen yeah but like what you said like in terms of pop music that's not something you go to for humanity you go to it for like a feel-good kind of sugar high really Mm -hmm. a three minute Mm -hmm. catchy sugar high right so like that's kind of irrelevant i think for bands that i don't i don't want to be like pretentious and be like bands that are dealing in substance you know (laughs) Uh, (laughs) can never replace them in the realm of substance (laughs) yeah that's gonna be the scary part when you hear an ai song you're like god damn that's good How does it understand me so much? <laughs> you're just you're just in the car screaming the song's words out like it's really gotten into you. You're just yeah, like letting yeah. loose, and you're just like, "Fuck, a computer's making me do this now." Which <laughs> you know what? We're all on our phones all the time anyway now, so computer makes us do yeah, a lot of yeah. fucking things. We we probably... choose to do that, Josh. It's our choice. <laughs> it's not addictive will, at all. It's true. It's, it's not, not a... being forced into our hands. Okay, well, you picked it well, up. You pressed the, <laughs> the power button. Well, you know what else was our choice, Jeff? Was having you as our new guest. Jeff Chung is our guest. That's the other voice you're hearing to our millions of listeners. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so Jeff, welcome to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. Thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for having me. It's it's been too long. So, for our guests, their first time, we like to ask a couple questions just so the millions of fans, as I said, will know who they're dealing with for the next three episodes. 
Um, the first question is, well, give us a little bit of an overview, a quick overview of your musical tastes in general. Um, my musical taste is pretty broad. It covers a lot of different genres. First musical like interest I ever took probably started with the Beach Boys as a oh. kid. Very nice class. That ca- um, a California thing? Yes. Also, like my my parents did like music. They weren't heavy into music, but they did have a record player when I was yeah. growing up, and they had a lot of Kenny Rogers. Hmm. So I, you know, hey, the gambler. The gambler was an influence. Me and uh, your folks would get along, Jeff. <laughs> just saying. Beach Boys. And they Kenny. had a nice liquor right. cabinet. They had a good Kenny Rogers collection. Also, what helped me was having a brother who's seven years older than I am. So yeah. always a gem. Definitely a, a huge influence in the early listening days. And what was he? What was he turning you on to? He was into Bowie. He was into Phil Collins. Hey, one that doesn't get mentioned very much these days in the synth classic synth days, but was big back then. Was Erasure? He was a big mm-hmm. Erasure fan. I don't know who that is. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, you don't need to necessarily know. You can listen to one song because that's really only one yeah. song I can tell you. It's a one-hit wonder kind of thing. Okay, so. okay. All right, and as as we move into the teen years and you're getting your own musical tastes out, what what are they? What are you what are you getting into? Well, let me please first tell you what my first ever musical purchase was. Yes, which was a single tape. Or mm-hmm. yeah, when they sold singles as just yeah, yeah, yeah. little tapes was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh wait, wait, it was a cassette single. A cassette mm-hmm. single. Yeah, oh, yeah, at Tower Records. <laughs> and I don't know what this says about me, but it's fine. I am perfectly okay with this choice. It was Belle Biv DeVoe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. choice. That was Love my it. first Poison. ever purchase. Using oh, my own man. money. I was like, God. oh, I'm going to buy this at age 10. I'm like, yeah, I want this tape. That song's too so, good. But going into the teen years, yeah, basically it fell into the, the similar kind of cultural like phenomenons in that time. Obviously, grunge hit that was huge. Yeah, that was really the big thing. So carrying all my CDs with Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Silverchair, yeah, yeah. etc. Silverchair, Silverchair, Silverchair. Because yeah. they were kids, all right, Neil. They were kids like me. Hey, were man. Like, hey, that was hey impressive. I'm not hating. But yeah, no, it's just uh, have to throw in Silverchair just because I do have an affinity for Australian rockers, apparently. So. I had some influences. A lot of people, uh, some of my other family members were really into like U2. So I have a little bit of that in my early 90s listening. I did stick to a lot of uh, things. Again, my brother like had some yeah. influence into it. wasn't so he was in, but I did borrow a lot of his music collection early on. So like one that sticks out for sure is In Excess. Oh, or yeah. mm-hmm. what was the other one that he loved? Oh, he actually first got me to listen to Green Day. Oh. And Bad Religion. And in many ways, I stuck to a lot of the mainstream alternative sounds of the 90s, you know, very K-Rock. When the Bay Area got their version of K-Rock, which was called KOME, that yeah. was very much a very influential rock band for, you know, high school in general. And eventually, I also, because of my background playing a trumpet, I very much got into ska music. Uh-huh. And I also have a very strong affinity because of obviously punk, uh, Green Day, but punk music and dug into that a little more. So very much ska punk was like this harmonious handshake in my in my heart that stuck nice. with me for a good three, four, five years. 
and I'm with you. also I'm with carried, you. yeah, and also carried in through like even when the revival swing came through, and you had yeah that stupid Gap commercial that definitely <laughs> helped out with things and other all that kind of stuff. And like, oh, everyone has to learn how to do swing dancing, so let's do that too. And let's, let's call it college Jeff Coachella, Jeff, because Coachella okay. obviously Coachella Jeff definitely like it. kicks it in because I went to the very first Coachella, which included seeing Rage, Tool. Uh-huh. Uh, nice. Rozell, which was amazing in its own right. If you know Rozell, never seen a live beatbox performer. Oh, and, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Rozell and the Roots, kind of. This was '99 back then, and also very much in that time was very much into like turntablism. So you had Mixmaster Mike, you had Invisible Scratch Pickles, yeah, Cut Chemist, that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, like I said, very broad. I got a wide I range like of it. coverage. I yeah. like it. Yeah, but as far as like rock music, then kicking into one of the, definitely the bands that I really liked starting in the early 2000s uh, was The Strokes when they first came out. Yeah. One of my all-time live music experiences was seeing The Strokes. Oh, uh, nice. Back in 2001. So that's when their first go. album came out. Right off the bat. Right off the bat. It was just like time warp. I've never been to a show that felt like this is what yeah. classic rock fans saw in their 70s, 80s, early 80s, late 70s, more, you know, that kind of feel where it just had like this is the rock show that we all want yeah. to see this is, this is rock and roll this yeah, is exactly. why it's fun this is why it lasted from 1955 to 2005 or whenever it died <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so other than the strokes give me another show that one of your favorite shows that you've seen well going through like the 2000s a band that I really did stick with for a good number of years was um, Chick 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 you know, chick, chick, chick. It's which has like, elements of both dance and just more okay. of a dancey kind of band. And that kind of era in the 2000s where you had these bands that are sort of, I won't call them Jamtronic or anything, but they had this like rock band yes. that had a very electronic kind of influence Jam-tronica. to it. There was, there definitely, sure. a, yeah. Not, it's not disco biscuits, all right? So it's, you know, that's, that's an whole other, <laughs> whole other it's thing to talk Altaker about. Not, not or... who I also like. I do like Altaker. Yeah. That, you know, that's, that's, you know. I saw um, them in college. How was that? There, I just remember walking down a step. I walk, I walked down a staircase. I followed this guy hopping like a frog on all fours down a staircase, <laughs> and he got to the bottom and he was blocking the staircase. And I was a bouncer, so like yeah. I tapped him, and and he looked back at me like, oh my god, so scared. Wow. And I was just like, wow. you gotta get out of this way <laughs> of the okay, dude, staircase. And he just hopped over to the side. <laughs> I was like. I don't care if you're on all fours, man. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But <laughs> people were just saying, it "Sir, was, it's a fire hazard. I need you to move." It was an eye opener. Yeah, but the music they was were, okay, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't grating. It wasn't like I wasn't yeah. like, "Oh my god, when is this going to end?" You know, it right? Wasn't, it wasn't happy hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but so, going so. to go back to your question, definitely going from like high school, college, ska punk heavy definitely to emo punkish a, a band that i definitely was with for their early portion before they got bigger was alkaline trio a punk band oh, that yeah. i very much enjoyed and it was the raw sound that i really liked but yeah. once it got to the point where he couldn't sing the way he needed to sing and it had to be a much easier version of how he sings then it just yeah. turned me off because i wanted and i knew he couldn't keep it up but and seeing him live when you're seeing a show with 30 other people it, on a stage that's one yeah. foot high. And those yeah, were the experiences them. that I really cherished. And, you know, 
built the foundation That's... for my you know love for music was seeing these small shows small five ten dollar shows that you just want to you know support a band and see them get bigger and bigger yeah um, and as they do you get you're like eh. so we're talking yeah. which i think those are as you said those are the shows like the ones you see at a young age small venues bands that you kind of follow what whatever what they become but like that's when you get the best raw energy out of shows mm -hmm. so if you were talking about like if i was like jeff give me like a band that you really love from like the last couple years that you discovered who would you say who would who would come to your last mind first couple of years that's a great question well initially when you said that but before you said last couple of years i've really been diving deep into king gizzard and lizard wizard ah okay that's and a newer band yeah they're newer but they have so much music it's like really it's hard to keep up with honestly you know when you release <laughs> six albums in one year which is i don't I mean, even know how you do uh, it but that's yeah, i'm impressed that and it's like all different there's a know? news story about them every day it really is. They're playing at the bowl. I thought about going, and I'm like, well, I have tickets. I'm going. Huh? I was surprised they're big enough to just play the bowl, um, but I guess I am out of the loop. They have some really great stuff. Yeah, they, no, I, I I dig them, but I, I was just surprised when I saw that. I was like, they're playing the bowl. Damn. And you know what they do um, sometimes is they they get heavy. Oh, they do. They started heavy. That's the thing. Yeah. That's how I first heard them, like back in 2014. That's what they were. I didn't realize. Then they just went on this musical journey that you couldn't even comprehend that, wow, you guys, you, you should like, if you start deep diving into them, you should just look at the amount of equipment they use to produce <laughs> the sounds that they do. It's, oh, I can, it's insane. It's, it's I really can, like- I can't the, imagine. And they have, they have something for everybody is how I, I mean, they, and they're like one well, of the most recent albums that they, they started covering rap. Like it just uh, well, elements, just not the same sure thing. I'm not, I'm not really into King Gizzard <laughs> getting into rap, but you know what I'm good with is King Gizzard's <laughs> Heavy metal phase because tonight yes. we're gonna talk a little heavy, hard metal rock, which they recently got back into. Which is a good thing for us because on that note, you are listening to Pod gave rock and roll to you, and we are talking about King Gizzard and hard rock because tonight <laughs> we are finally talking about Metallica and their song "One" from their 1989 album "And Justice for All," written by James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich and produced by Metallica and Fleming Rasmussen and released on Electra. Yes, I wanted to talk about Metallica 1. I mean, one of my favorite memories from uh, junior high was um, every, like almost every day, all through lunch in the cafeteria, one just played on repeat because some one of the headbangers like from high school would just go in there and feed it quarters and just put one, one, one. But the, wait, the wait, best... wait, 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 wait! Y'all had a jukebox in your yeah, cafeteria? Sure Hell yeah! Wow. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so every day one's just playing on repeat, and at that time, I remember uh, me and my friends were just all into Neil Young, Bob Dylan. Bob Marley, yeah. all peace and love. No, we're um, smoking pot and chilling, bro. And just like heady vibes. <laughs> my my memory is just us sitting there and just being like, hell yeah. Like everyone was so into it, even though that wasn't necessarily <laughs> our style of music. And it's just always stuck with me. I mean, just it's such a cool fucking song from top to bottom, front to back. Like the video, the guitar god nature of it, various yeah. singing styles, time signatures. 
And just back in the day, the video was so cool. It, there's so many good memories. It's such an amazing song. And I feel like Metallica really found the sweet spot between metal, rock, and pop. And it kind of started with this. Metallica's never in my like my playlists. I don't I don't listen to it a lot, but I think yeah. after this week, I have a newfound respect for this song. I always did, but now I'm like, hell, this song is so good. Like I, I, I yeah. So when you picked it, it was more nostalgic, and now you're like, yeah, glad. I'm, yeah, now yeah. I'm all in. I'm all in. <laughs> Can't miss. I'm back in. <laughs> back in the saddle again. Yeah, I, you know, my oldest brother was nine years older than me, so. You know, this was, you know, he was in high school when this shit was coming out. So I heard it a lot. And, I, and that's where I assume I first heard it as well. I, you know, I remember the video, obviously, as you said. But the song is so kick-ass in, like, it's head-banging glory that I feel like it's like it was embedded in my testosterone at birth. Yeah. You know, even though yeah. I probably didn't hear it until I was, like, seven. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> And honestly, this isn't my favorite Metallica song. I, you know, I grew up with them. I heard them, obviously, the early albums through my brother. But, you know, Black and, like, Unforgiven and fucking yeah, yeah. shit like that, that was more what I was into, you know, in the 90s and stuff. But it's hard to find fault, any fault with this song, unless you're just somebody who doesn't like kind of the frenetic aspects of it. And, like, the war ambiance in the beginning is the only part that I'm not super engaged with but then you listen to a live version you're like how could that not be in there you know oh yeah oh yeah this this song for me is all about the architecture of the song and how they built it from from the riff that it came from right yeah it it is like a mini movie it's like tragic and heartbreaking and i did not realize this before this week but it's like it's really profound in how it portrays like the anger that everyone should feel about this soldier pointless mm-hmm. suffering that that occurs in this song like it's really just rage at pointless suffering and it's yeah it's beautiful rage uh, before i listened to it this week i did not know that was what the song was about but my appreciation has grown much more even though i love the song you know before this week i, I like it even more now yeah, just to piggyback on what you guys were saying, too, I definitely have a much stronger newfound appreciation for the depth of this song. It really does show a artistic masterpiece side to Metallica that mm-hmm. I, growing up, never really was attached to just because metal wasn't really my thing as a kid. Yeah. It wasn't really a sound that I heard very often, not till I was later in my late teens, early 20s, probably that I get more into a metal sound, but that was well beyond the, you know, I guess the heyday of heavy metal yeah. when it finally became a Grammy-nominated <laughs> category. Well is, before Jethro Tull just <laughs> laid their claim on the metal Grammy Awards. <laughs> but uh, I do have faint memories, I remember, because one thing my parents... And sometimes my brother and I, we would like to watch award shows, as yeah. that kind of thing. Academy Awards was always a big thing, but early Same. on, I used to watch the Grammys. I mm-hmm, lost mm-hmm, interest mm-hmm. in that probably in With my else. yeah early adolescence time, just because the Grammys just became so. You moved on to the MTV Video Awards, right? right? Yeah. Exactly. MTV was sort of you evolved. No, yeah, this is not cool. MTV's cool. The videos, obviously, yes, the video was very important. I, know, I, I didn't even realize this, but looking into it, but uh, the music video 
was actually the cinematographer of someone I've worked with in the commercials. Oh, and really? He's a very cool. famous cinematographer. Yeah. His name is Bill Pope. Ah, yeah, he's cool. a very famous shout out. DP guy. But going back to the song, I mean, I definitely had heard this song before as yeah. a younger age, but I never had that person to influence me on Metallica or anything heavy metal. At one point, yeah. it was just more like, hey, do you like ACDC? Do you like Metallica? I probably then leaned into ACDC more than I did Metallica. And that was just, I guess, my preferred sound at that time. And, re- and also, probably what gave me was stupid, and this is really stupid, but of course, in my growing up, I had a thing against Lars because of the whole <laughs> Napster situation. Because back then, of course, I didn't mind being a digital pirate and be like, yeah, free music? Of course, everyone should have free music. I should have access to this. I got to buy a CD? What are you talking about? Well, it's on the internet. It's, it's, it's true. And, and now, and Lars, Lars was, was right. Yeah, Lars was absolutely right. Oh, 100%. Like, Lars was clearly in the right. This I mean, is not... I always remember the fucking <laughs> South Park episode where he's like, oh, Lars is crying because he can't buy a gold dolphin for his pool now because oh, of Napster. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm... That's pretty good. That's good stuff. Darkness imprisoning me. Just going back to, I mean, and when you start, I mean, obviously Lars is a legend. He's one of the all-time drumming legends in terms of the mm-hmm. techniques. And, and one of the techniques, obviously, through this, and we'll talk about more, but just the melding of artistry and technique with this song really is unique in its time. And it, I think yeah. it was such a, yes, just an impressive musical performance and display of of what they, can, what they could achieve. Because I think yeah. it yeah. expanded what they could do and showed you they have more layers than you might realize. Yeah, and it, it's it, this is the album before Black... And if you listen to the album, I mean, uh, all, you know, there's some other good songs on there. And, there, the, you know, there's all, a lot of the pieces. But mm-hmm. this is the song where all the pieces come together really well. Like, I, I wouldn't say this is, you know, Master's Puppets, I like better than this album. I think this is by far the best song on the, on that on Justice for All. But they, they, they're kind of just straight up headbangers. This song has mm-hmm. multitudes. It's like this song is multiple different parts just built so well and and beautifully it's impressive they put it all together in such a nice package because it's so many ideas just piled on top of each other like then we'll do this then and then you'll start playing the riff like da 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 you know like they, they're changing the riff they they change time signatures it's like but it all sounds like the same kind of song even though if you'd listen to the beginning and the end separately you'd be like no way but the journey yeah. to get there you're like yeah Perfect. That's exactly where it should have went. Well, obviously, and the remastered version of the album, they have the from his riff tape. I mean, the song started with the doom doom dun 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 You know, I mean, that was the bones of the song, and that is a super melodic, if not very syncopated. Yeah, syncopated. It's very syncopated, but also very melodic as well. Doom doom dun 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 yeah, it's it's super melodic. It's got a lot of soul. It's very almost classical too. Like it's everything. It's it's like soulful rock, classical music, heavy metal, kind of virtuoso almost across the board. And because of that, I think the beginning part after the, you know, war ambiance, which is, you know, whatever, that's kind of yeah. introducing you to the story. And then there's this kind of prologue 
of, I guess, you know, the guy, the soldier's in a coma, and, like, as he wakes up. That's, like, very beautiful and melodic, but mm-hmm. also very sad. Like, you know, it's not, like, a happy, you know, it's obviously in a minor key, and it's it's just very melodic and beautiful, and also, this is not good, right? It kind of sets up a thing yeah, of, yeah. like, this it's, is not it's, good. Yeah, it's, it's haunting. There's a haunting yeah. sort of, like, tone to it. Haunting yeah. is the word, yes. It's a beautiful rage. <laughs> Well, the rage doesn't come until later. Like, I mean, well, but it's it also, building. It, it's it's bubbling down there. <laughs> well, it's like an uneasy calm, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a confusion of 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 like it it sets up someone waking up from a comatose state in a horrible condition, very well as well as you can hope for, right? Yeah, and just I mean, what it when it finally does get to the rage, I mean, it's just so cool, like the. The, the way Hatfield is singing the whole song, I mean, it's not like a complicated melody, but just going from like that sweeter, more confused beginning and then yelling like a fucking Viking at the end, which is just so perfect. <laughs> True, but even before they get to the Viking at the end, like they hint at the rage in the in the choruses. So they like break it up uh-huh. and they do it musically as well to where that melody goes away and it's... Like it's very just like this pleading, like anger. I love how they change from that melodic into that and then even coming out of that chorus and then it goes right back into it, like on a fucking dime. It it could be harsh in less talented hands. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And just like speaking of the rage building, like the way they build to it and make you wait for that darkness imprisoning me, almost for like eight bars, they kind of started on the drums. Then you're like, oh, it comes in here. And they're like, no, 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 it doesn't yet. And they just, <laughs> they keep going. And then it just, it hits you like a storm. Well, it almost recreates the beginning war ambiance. Mm-hmm. Like the the drums are basically that, yeah. You know, machine small gun. arms fire or whatever that's yeah, happening. Machine gun arms. <laughs> You're just like, okay, what's happening now? And then it's like, darkness and man up me. You're like, oh shit, that is what's <laughs> happening. And it does. And you immediately go to the head banging, like, oh, yeah. yeah. You can't help it. Okay. can't help it. <laughs> I know, just real quick, I know previously on this podcast, Josh, you would ask me, um, who would you, we're trading guitar, uh, musicians in bands like sports. Yes. And I, and I said, Metallica, I could use a new guitar player. Oh. Not, and I, and I mentioned that I wasn't talking shit, that it just wasn't for me. I, I want a little more soul, but I take all that back. I take it all back. <laughs> well, I think, I think what you... It's just because I don't listen to too much of them, you know. The precision is mathematical but yeah that's in not a what way I like that's what i don't like there's some soul there's some soulful um more more going on in this song than there are others the pers- i mean it it works well hetfield is the richards to hammett's yep, yep. Yes. you know all the lead guitar players in the stones over the years and i get what you're saying neil because i kind of agree with you like i don't yeah. a lot of his stuff is just like scales and precision and math and it's probably underappreciated by a lot of blues guitar aficionados, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, ah, it's missing the soul. But he's doing what he needs to do over this band to be effective and to elevate the product. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, this is just clearly, uh, as a guitar player, um, just so impressive. I mean, it's really high on, like, guitar solo lists. I don't really think of it like that. Yeah. I think as, know, a, I mean, as a whole piece, it's amazing. But there's nothing that I'm like, oh, there's nothing that blows me away individually. Yeah, I mean, it's like an impressive feat of endurance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, and even watching them play it live and just nail every fucking note is pretty sweet. When I, when I see live performances, I, I tend to focus in a little more on the drummer, seeing their actions, seeing what they're doing. Just because, to me, that's you know they lay the foundation, the groundwork, yeah. everything that is piled on top of it. So, yeah. and I mean, obviously the the the, the solos and the buildup of the solos and the dueling solos, and it just it just keeps crescendoing more and more in this song. Really, well, is just impressive. just to clarify real quick, when you say double bass drum, clarify for the listeners, not for me. Promise, it's just for the listeners. When you say double bass drum, <laughs> you're talking about that. Yes. Where he's using both feet with yes, with the kick pedal, just like hitting it that fast, and that's a technique he, I believe, he invented that. If I'm wrong on that, I could be, but I believe that's the technique he's known for, and he's the one that just, which it's yeah, it's it's pretty much a staple in any heavier band. It's those Nordic tennis jeans coming through. Exactly. Exactly. I like how he used that. That that's like the athleticism that he genetically acquired. It helps him be able to do that. Which yeah, if, um, into his sixties. Yeah, you if know. the listeners don't know, I shared a video where he explains everything on a Howard Stern performance, and it just talks about just the way he performs, and and it's it's actually quite quite entertaining and quite informative in terms of understanding the genius of Lars. Because yeah, well, he is all about. Explaining the genius. Of <laughs> That's <laughs> very true. He's good at yeah, it because he so does it all the time. He, he really knows People... how to tell you how hard it is that what he does is really hard. But <laughs> I want to go to something that stuck out to me listening to this that I did not have as much appreciation for at all is the lyric to the song. I walk away from the last two weeks so impressed with. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's really, it does have just a lot of cool lines. You know, you have the, you know, now that the war is through with me, nothing is real but pain now, hold my breath as I wish for death. And the second verse where, like, the soldier is, like, his condition is equated to being, like, back in the womb. <laughs> just mm-hmm. such a like masterfully executed it's so helpless because you I mean every time you listen to it you feel terrible for whoever this guy is you're like oof fucking hey dude it's rough. yeah well and also if you listen to it you know the darkness like once it gets to the darkness imprisoning me like you feel the fucking rage and that is such a perfect line to just bring that out if you listen to the song, you, you're like, all right, this guy's going through some shit. And then at the very end, the last fucking mm-hmm. outro thing, yeah, yeah. he explains everything the guy's going through very clearly. And yeah, a lot yeah. of times you'd be like, don't tell me. Just let me figure it out. But in this, it works. Well, yes, I should be fucking rageful and full of vengeance. Yeah. Exactly, I am. And just the balls to write the lyrics, taking my speech, taking my hearing, taking my arms, taking my legs, taking my soul, left me with life and hair. <laughs> and it ends appropriately the same way. It just, just, boom. 
that's it. Yeah, exactly. They don't fade out. Like a lot of songs like this would just kind of fade with the jam, but they're just like, we're done. But uh, Jeff, is there a line that stuck out to you, like a favorite line? Yeah, I was just uh, thinking about it. But basically, I do. I did love the the fed through the tube that sticks in me, just like a wartime novelty tied to machines that make me be cut this life off for me. I mean, <laughs> oh my that's, god, yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, that's Jesus just the, that's just like shuddering po- yeah, poetry right there. It's just like, oh, yeah, Ooh. you're basically just like a deformed fetus <laughs> at this point. Well, like, uh, the crazy thing is, too, picturing a hundred thousand people in a stadium being like, "Hold my breath as I wish for death." Please, God, help me. You know what I mean? Just people <laughs> singing every line. Just yeah. and with and with his vocal, which is like, it's just a very strong. He definitely sounds like somebody you don't want to fuck with. Like you know, like somebody you don't want to get into a fight with at no, a bar. No, probably. And not. then he talks, and you're like, oh, he's kind of got that Mike Tyson aspect where he's like, "Hey guys." Having a drink tonight? All right, let's do it. <laughs> He's such a fucking good performer. Mm-hmm. Like and even and this song kind of encapsulates all of that because he he starts off very quiet and then in the chorus he's kind of like pleading and angry and then at the end it's like heavy fucking hard fuck core rage. Yeah. All and- in one all in, you know, five or six minutes or whatever the song is. It's 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 impressive vocal performance that's probably a little underrated because it's like, uh, eh, it's a heavy metal singer. Yeah. And I think it's pretty much peak Metallica. I mean they were just, this was the their fourth album. They still had all of their fucking uh street cred. You were you mentioned Josh uh, listening to a lot of black or Metallica, Metallica, whatever, and it was just a little poppier. You know, it didn't have quite the balls of Master of Puppets and all this stuff. But um, yeah, but you don't you don't get there without this. Yeah, this is the bridge. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the, you know Fleming Rasmussen, this guy, like he hasn't really done much with anybody else, but like there are three albums he did: Master of Puppets, hmm. Just for All, and um, Ride the Lightning. Yeah, yeah, Ride the Lightning. He did all three of these. They tried to go with a different producer for this one, and they were like, nope, he doesn't get us back to Fleming, back to that studio in, in Sweden mm-hmm. or whatever. And wow. the one thing that stands out about this song, though, and them in general, and I guess heavy metal in general for the most part, it's so fucking clean and not raw in any, like it's it's produced mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah, a pop yeah. record. Yeah. Totally. And metal is always like that. Punk is thrash and all rage and energy, but metal is... Don't want it to be perfect. Metal is focused right. you rage. You want garage. You don't want studio. Like we said about Kirk, the, this like song in general, like the production, it's, it's mathematical in its precision of like nothing is off. Everything is perfect. Everything's going to be big. Everything's going to be hard. And sound complicated well at the end i mean uh he gets pretty quick uh and it's it's very technical but there's nothing i don't think i uh i couldn't play i don't know oh, well, i'm not talking about all right let's get well, away from the old love fest over here uh wait, 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 when wait, we you, say you can th- play this i want to hear it wait wait can, can, we, can we pull the guitar out right now i want to that would be amazing i'm in i'm in back in the room it's much too real I, I, we, we should say that when we say them, we're talking James Hetfield on vocals, rhythm guitar, and acoustic guitar, Kirk Hammett on lead guitar, Jason Newstead on bass, and Lars Ulrich on drums. That is Metallica. Was Newstead on bass, though? For this album, yes. Yeah, no, he was, but I, uh, 
yeah, you guys have heard that whole like argument they've had where they turned him down almost inaudibly. You can barely hear the bass on the whole album, and he was. I definitely pissed. didn't notice him at all. <laughs> yeah, you didn't because you can't hear it. I don't. I don't know what it was. I don't know if they didn't like his playing or like they were just being dicks. I don't know, but it's all. It's a whole thing. Just a couple of fun facts about this song. It was the first winner of the best metal performance at the Grammys. It was the first Metallica song to chart on Billboard's Top 100 at 35, which is impressive for a song like this. And it was performed uh, at the 2014 Oscar ceremony with Lang Lang. Um, But real quick, before we move to the fun part of this pod, we should just touch on the video, which we mentioned. Jeff, do you remember watching this as a kid? I remember seeing it, not necessarily the whole thing in succession of... But as a kid, yes, I remember that was my first real visceral images of Metallica. Yeah. As a the... band of the, the hair and the mm-hmm. look. Because, you know... The fingers on oh, the fretboard. The fingers, <laughs> Lars's face, banging away yeah. on the drums. Very much has a show. He's just like, oh, I'm, a, yeah, I'm into... This is me, it's <laughs> Lars. And they're, they're all... Well, they and they all just stand around him. Yes. Like, like he's the god of Metallica. Uh, <laughs> he's the Nordic god of, of hard rock. Uh, <laughs> I do love how I, I didn't know this before, but like the the scenes that are interspersed with their black and white raging is uh, Johnny got his gun, a 1970s movie, and probably the favorite thing. But my favorite thing I learned about the song was that because <laughs> the video became so popular, they kept having to pay royalties for the movie, so they just bought the movie rights. They yeah. basically just bought the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> but. Speaking of MTV and music videos and and that kind of vibe and and the 1990 period, I think that's going to bring us into the vibe time portion of this podcast. And Jeff, we did not prepare you for this, but <laughs> you have to bring us into the vibe time portion of this podcast, which oh. is um, I'm going to count it down, and you can hum, sing, talk, say something, whatever. Just say Make something to bring us into the vibe time. <laughs> In three, two, one. Vibes. <laughs> Dig it. Nice. <laughs> okay, Neil, this is your song. When specifically do you want to hear one by Metallica? Other than my junior high cafeteria, I would say... Um, <laughs> can't go back. Can't go back, unfortunately. I was thinking about it, and it would be amazing to... Uh, I've never been skydiving, but you're on the plane listening to the song, and you jump out right as the rage comes. Darkness! If it's oh, pretty badass. I would probably but get scared. What like it'd be a long jump. What comes on after that though? I'd have to really think about that. Something very calm. Yep, yep. And something soothing. sweet. Something sweet. Like a carpenter song. <laughs> <laughs> Some Beach Boys. <laughs> yes, Beach Boys. Uh Jeff, what about you? When specifically do you want to hear one by Metallica? Well, I guess it comes from me just recently listening to this in the car. Um, because I just recently drove from L.A. to San Francisco and back in the last few days. Yeah. So I feel like listening and then it's like, oh, this is a great song to drive drive on the freeway with. And very specifically, start with the beginning of the song. You're just stuck in dead traffic and you're just getting pissed about being stuck. But the, cal- the, the beginning calms you down. 
And then yeah. finally, when you get to the part where you realize the traffic was a complete bullshit, there was no accident, there was nothing, <laughs> it just starts flowing again. That's when the star picks up and you just put the pedal to the metal and you just floor uh, it. And you're like, I'm going to get past all these jerks right now because they're a bunch of jerks. Here comes the rage. Blast Take, right through them. Take my leg. Yeah. 95 miles an hour. Here we go. Choo, 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 choo. You know, just basically, you know, get, past, get me past all this. I don't, I don't, you know. The car is your holding cell in that scenario. Yes. I like it. Yes, exactly. Like it. <laughs> Getting me through I, yeah, for, life in hell. <laughs> for me, there's it's just the gym. I mean, this is just like a gym song. It's like I'm at the gym. Put this on. Fucking whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. workout yeah. or running, running anything I'm doing to like get my blood pressure pressure up. This is a perfect fucking song from start to finish. Even even the include the fucking. War ambiance <laughs> in the beginning. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Let's Late do this. Day. Bench press. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just you know, the warm up. The warm up before you yeah. have to hit the uh, the high intensity. Well, let's stop warming up and and slide under the influence and talk about the influence of the of of this song. So, I'll get us started here. I, I you know after this week, I'm like you know it's probably easy to kind of go like you know Iron Maiden and and stuff like that. But I I want to say this is like. It's a very like profound anti-war song, and I think it falls into that like long line of, you know, Bob Dylan's Masters of War, Pink Floyd's The Wall, and Sabbath like War Pigs, and even uh, one we talked about, Ozzy's uh, Crazy Train. You know, just about the pointlessness mm-hmm. of 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 that shit. Neil, what you think? Well, I agree. And yeah, I mean, I definitely was going to say Masters of War. I pointed out you sounded like that singing it the other night. Um, oh, yeah. And um, yeah, Floyd for sure. It's like the wall on trucker speed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, just the machine gun nature, Jimi Hendrix machine gun, just his riff, like da 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 Like he kind of was the first to do that, and they took it to Ooh, a whole yeah, new level. Machine there. gun, very good. Um, yeah. And good classical call. music. It definitely has some, some classical tones. Okay. Okay, Jeff. What What do you think? Anything that sounds like influenced by influence moving forward that that stick sticks out? Well, it's sort of funny because this part I wasn't really sure about, but I thought about it. But as I was listening to this song, and it made me think about something that that connects to the both of you, which is in a funny way, was in the beginning when you're hearing nice a nice little guitar melody solo, and I'm like, oh, this sort of sounds like a jam. This is sort of like a jam yeah. band. This is sort of sounding like, you know, something you could hear from, like, a Grateful Dead song or for Fish. It's like yeah. just a line, just a line. It's absolutely it. a jam song. It has song. a little bit of a, just a nice, beautiful, melodic guitar just playing. It made me think of, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. it might also no, be because I, I saw Three Nights of Fish at the Hollywood Bowl, and April, <laughs> that might have influenced me a little bit on that. But you, you got jamming on your mind. I hear that. I hear those riffs, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, no, that's cool, mm-hmm. and that's when do you ever hear that really from a Metallica song? You don't, you don't expect that to come at you, thinking like they have that in them. But yeah, for this sure, shows, it's again, probably you know a little bit of extra versatility that you didn't really, you might not expect from them, and that it, it also gives you an appreciation towards it. So I, I, I thought that was a, a fun little bit that I would never have thought of in re-listening to this song that I would come across again. Yeah. And I've never, I've never thought of it like that, but it's probably the reason I like it so much and picked it. You know what I mean? It just kind of speaks to me as a guitar player and, um, yeah. and a lover of jam music myself. Well, let's let's speak about love and jam music. Uh, 
in a sexier setting and slide under the covers for a little while, guys. All right, all right. Uh, and talk about the covers of this song, um, which there were not many. No, no But, one, uh, no Jeff, did you hear any covers that you liked or didn't like? There were a couple of, like, basically, like, classical covers that I saw yeah. mm-hmm. performances, mm-hmm. I, which I think speaks about the way this song is composed and structured. Yeah. It mm-hmm. really does play right into that classical element and really does come across come across well under that and i thought that was pretty cool it's just basically listening to the song and it is the song in its own right but hearing it in a different way but it does lose a little when you don't hear hetfield screaming <laughs> and instead it's <laughs> like I, I there was another cover i saw that was like very much you know note for note which sounded really yeah. good that they did it but then i start hearing the girl sing and then it was just was like it's okay yeah. at first and then it gets to darkness and you're just like no Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Click off. No, I, that's the part where I stop. It, but you did a good point up to that. I'm sure. I'm sure m- musically it sounds great. I just don't need to hear you try and pretend you're Hetfield screaming because it, it doesn't work. Because there's only one Hetfield really. Yeah, it, you it, can't. Yeah. You can't really. I mean, unless you're gonna do it exactly like they do it. Yeah. It, it's yeah, it's, and, you know, which I'm not going to. So it's probably gonna suck. But Neil, what what? Uh, give me give me some covers you heard. And well, yeah, and just real quick. Uh, Jeff, just to reiterate what you were saying, um, you know, I was thinking this week just how much how much it is like a classical song because a lot of classical stuff has those melodies and then they usually get dissonant at a certain point. But you could just hear like bump 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 like that could really just be a movement in a classical song. Um, and if you well, were... yeah, that's how Apocalyptica did it, and it, I didn't like it. Okay, very stringy, <laughs> stringy. It, it just no, I mean it's just too abrupt. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In that way, when um, you take it straight classical. But beyond that, um, just a lot of disappointment looking into covers. Um, the most disappointing was uh, was Korn. Um, it was like this old clip from MTV. Travis Barker and a guy from like uh, Blink-182 are introducing them. They build it up. They're like, man, Metallica, this and that, and this song was classic. And we got Korn, and they're going to go, right? <laughs> and... They start playing. Like, well, womp, womp. well, the guitars were cool, man. I mean, the music sounded cool, but it, I don't know what his name is, but he just couldn't handle it, really. Um, Not the the singer. I was singing it. Yeah. Um, it's just, it was very whiny. Um, nothing against Korn, but uh, it was disappointing. And the, But the one I did hear that I liked, it was some guy from, I suppose, Sweden or something. His name's Kefir Ocheon. Um, but he was playing. I'm sure that's exactly how you pronounce it. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Phonetically correct. Um, but he just played it on two acoustic guitars um, and kind of sang it. It did, did, did the whole thing. It was, uh, it was nice to hear. It's nice to hear it just broken down like that. I, I heard Iron Horse do it in a bluegrass version, which at first I was like, this is kind of cool. And then I started singing and harmonizing, and I was like, no fucking way, man. <laughs> I mean the the second Some half of it they 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 harmonize like different parts over each other. Uh-huh. It's not uh-huh. no no no. Okay. <laughs> I will say though one instrumental I heard was a guy Mike Dawes who just did an acoustic guitar. One acoustic guitar it sounds fucking great. Mm. I actually put it on my jazz playlist. <laughs> so cool. I was like I can hear this again. Nice. This is great for that. Um and that's pretty much it. Other other than that there's really nothing worth checking out but I, I would check out Iron Horse just to hear like how bad bluegrass can make certain songs <laughs> <laughs> and, speak, and speaking of bluegrass 
Uh, that's going to bring us to the shoe fitting portion of this podcast. Neil, it is your song. So how does the shoe fit for one by Metallica? Well, like a pair of dirty white British night high tops from the 80s. Ah. Like some acid wash jeans, cut off black Metallica t-shirt, and some big white high tops with the tongue sticking out, you know? No. You, you, we were like, I'm, I'm pretty sure Beavis and or Butthead were wearing those yeah, in the yeah, original series. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> Jeff, what about you? How does the shoe fit for one by Metallica? A lot of studs. That's all I can really say. Studs. studs everywhere, man. You're talking black leather and oh, studs. Oh, black leather studs, absolutely. You could have a dog collar if you want, if you really want to get into it. And probably, you know, some uh, wristbands or whatever. I, I can't even know what they're called. Yeah. Yeah. Dog collar and bracelets. bracelets. It's Metallica. There's definitely wristbands going on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely studded, <laughs> studded bracelets. Rocking it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a completely different direction. Uh, because I read that this was about World uh, World War One story that they had read. Yeah. Or I guess Johnny Got His Gun was a World War One movie, maybe. I'm going to say this fits like a trench boot. Or as the American soldiers called it in World War One, the Pershing boot. Um, <laughs> it was made of tanned cowhide with a half middle sole, covered by a full sole studded with five rows studded there again of hobnails, uh, and iron plates were fixed to the heel, but it lacked waterproofing, so it led to trench foot, which. Sounds like this guy would have been happy to walk out of there with just oh. trench foot. So. Oh, yeah. Let's end on a high note there, Josh. A little, uh, what are the ingredients in the boot? <laughs> hey, we got, we got studs. We got soles. We got trench foot. That's, that's basically, that, that, that sums up Metallica's one. And on that note, <laughs> our cover of Metallica's one. Can't remember anything Can't tell if this is true or dream Deep down inside I feel to scream This terrible silence stops me Now that the war is through with me Waking up I cannot see there's not much left of me Nothing is real but pain now Hold my breath as I wish for death Oh please God wake me Back in the womb is much too real in pumps life that I must feel Can't look forward to reveal Look to the time when I'll live Fed through the tube that sticks in me Just like a wartime novelty Tied to machines that make me be Cut this life off from me Hold my breath as I wish for death 
Oh, please, God, wake me. Now the world is gone, I'm just one. Oh, God, help me. My breath is I wish for death. Please, God, help me. cover you just heard was performed by josh bond thanks for listening to pod gave rock and roll to you if you like what you heard please subscribe and give us a good rating on apple or spotify or wherever you listen if you'd like to reach out to us you can find us on twitter and instagram under the handle at pod rock next week it's your week josh what are we going to do we are going to go back to the bay area to discuss journeys classic anthem don't stop believing can't wait Ha, 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 ha.